What's up everybody? This week we take a look at the debut novel of one of Britain's best writers of the 90s as well as talk about a product with a ridiculously punny name. That and a whole lot more is to come because maybe some days I do have soul, some days I don't. Welcome to the show. Yeah, some days I do have soul, and those are the days where I'm feeling happy. Uh, not that I'm feeling sad all the time, I'm doing a lot, lot better now, but guys, thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, listen to the show. I appreciate you jumping on board. This is one of these uh, few episodes where you will be hearing nothing but my uh, my wonderful voice. Uh, the whole thing is done by me, only me. So, um, hey, you've downloaded it, you strap yourself in because it's going to be a long, long, mumbly ride. Um, now, great to have you listening to us again. Uh, we really do appreciate it. We had a good week last week and a lot of downloads, got a lot of feedback. Um, I asked a question about Desert Island Discs. And I have to split the answer up into a couple of parts. So, guys, thank you very much for taking the time to interact with us. Uh, the last week has been kind of weird in the life of, uh, of myself. Uh, first things first, I want to do a uh, sincere congratulations to both uh, my sister and new brother-in-law. Uh, they got married uh, Friday. It's uh, Saturday today that I'm recording, but they got married on Friday. And, you know, I wish them a long, happy, and prosperous life. Uh, they've had a really, really good last year or so, so, you know hopefully it gets better for them and you know hopefully that things keep going the right way for them uh also wanted to say a sincere thank you to my wife to sarah who took the time out of her amazingly busy schedule to record the women of rock series with us uh you guys don't understand how important that was for me to get her input uh if there's anybody i trust more to know about rock music and especially female rock musicians uh it's my wife but not only that she was able to balance things out and give me perspective that i didn't have before and i hope we all learn something uh with that as well not just you know a whole bunch of 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 praises i guess you can say also want to let all of our android listeners uh in on a few things uh we are still having problems with google uh we can't get our feed to work in google play uh and until we can we can't use the google play service so in the meantime if you guys are having a problem with google play uh sign up to the podbean app using your facebook account uh all download us on itunes now i know the whole point of having an android to see you don't have to sign up for the evil empire i got it but unfortunately, that's where we're at right now. Um, I really want to, you know, keep you guys listening. But unfortunately, we cannot go on Google Play right now. It's a shame and it's a pain. Uh, a couple of things I might do. I might start releasing uh, whole episodes on the YouTube channel. But I don't really want to do that. Um, so if anybody knows a way to get around the Google Play problem uh, and you know has done stuff like that before, let me know. Get in touch with me because maybe podcast at gmail That way I can, you know. Uh, just just make things better again expand our audience so on and so forth but to get us on another platform i really want to get on the google play store and it's just we've not been able to so uh also uh this last week i had a bit of a debacle with wendy's uh some of you may have saw this on my personal twitter some of you may not i ordered the other night and this is an injustice to me i was still seething when i got you know the next day which shows with everything going on in my life my worry was about a hamburger um <laughs> right so what happened was we ordered for a start there's eight of us ordering something when there's eight of you the odds of them getting somebody's wrong is high now when they get somebody's wrong they usually put the wrong sandwich in or they put the seasoning on that was wrong or whatever i asked them to hold the tomato the tomato whatever you want to call it and they held the chicken i had a chicken sandwich with no freaking chicken in it <sighs> needless to say 
that everybody in the house has been mocking me the last couple of days. They've been mock, mock, mocking me. And, uh, you know, but the, the whole thing I wanted to do is I wanted to um, get Wendy on uh, Twitter. For those of you who don't know, Wendy's on Twitter is real, real sarcastic. And they didn't reply to me, which I felt kind of, eh, kind of bummed out because, you know, that was the whole reason of complaining to them online. <laughs> you know, it's happened before. I just had a chicken sandwich with no chicken. So... Alright, let's look at something fun. Let's look, you know, instead of me complaining about a dang sandwich. Uh, last week, I asked you guys for your Desert Island Discs. And the reason I'm doing that is I'm doing a review of uh, High Fidelity by Nick Holmby. And one of the major hallmarks of the main character in that book is he likes to make lists. And he loves music. So I thought, let's put them together. Let's ask the people of the world, what was your favorite Desert Island Disc? Guys, I got an overwhelming response and... You know, I can't thank everybody enough for putting these out there, for taking the time to write it out, having little debates here, here in the thread. I love that. And, you know, I really, really want to do more stuff like that moving forward. So, I had such a big response that I decided that I was going to break this up into two parts. So, part one, I'm going to read right now. And after we talk about Nick Hornby, we're going to do part two. And I decided that looking through the list, that, that one album kept cropping up in pretty much everybody's list. Well, I say everybody's list, in most people's list. And they will be crowned the Desert Island Disc Champion. Also, at the end of the show, I'll tell you mine. And I'll point you in the direction of the blog that gives an explanation of why I love those certain albums. So, part one of Desert Island Discs is right now. We're going to start with Matt. Matt said, definitely maybe by Oasis. Mosley Shoals by Ocean Colosseum. The Stone Roses by The Stone Roses. R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People. What's a Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. Wood Gets Around by The Stereophonics. The Doors by, well, The Doors. And Super Furry Animals Radiator. Great list. That's fantastic. Rich says, Phil Collins, but seriously? <sighs> Dude. Phil Collins? No, I'm only kidding. I, I, I'm surprised there wasn't more in there. Uh, Manic Street Preachers, The Holy Bible, great album. R.E.M., New Adventures in Hi-Fi, an album that I'm learning to love uh, as I get older. Suede, Head Music. Genesis, A Trick of the Tale. Roddy Wumble, My Secret is My Silence. For those who don't know, that's the lead singer of Idlewild. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Live in Madison Square Garden. And Ben Folds 5, Whatever and Ever, Amen. That right there is the most eclectic list, and again, a fantastic, fantastic list. Sammy J says, Led Zeppelin 3, Definitely Maybe by Oasis. The Doors, Strange Days, Metallica, Ride the Lightning. Faith No More, Angel Dust, The Stone Roses by The Stone Roses. And Sticky Fingers by The Rolling Stones. Again, wonderful, wonderful list. Uh, Shani, Lord Royals, Alt-J, An Awesome Wave. Lana Del Rey, Born to Die. George Ezra, Wanted on Voyage. Fall Out Boy, Infinity on High. And Avantasia, the Scarecrow. I'll be completely honest. I've heard of, with the exception of maybe Lord Royals, I've heard of none of those albums. But that's a great list too, Shani. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to get into us. Lucy says, Storyteller by Carrie Underwood. Baptized by Drafty. Drafty, I can never get that right. Magnetized by Emma Blackery. Uh, JLS by JLS. The Best of Lone Star by Lone Star. Riot by Paramore. The Best of the Stereophonics. Stereophonics. Uh, the Hairspray soundtrack. And The Hoosiers. The Trick to Life. I am surprised. I'm really surprised that somebody that young in my area of the world has got so much country music on there. Appreciate you, Lucy. That's a fantastic, fantastic list. Uh, my brother, Liam. He says, Oasis. Definitely maybe. The Stone Roses by The Stone Roses. Alt-J and Awesome Wave again. I guess I'm going to have to listen to that because more, more people are saying it. Uh, DMA, Hell's End. Urban Hymns by The Verve, The Twang, I love it when it feels like this, The Enemy, We Live and Die in These Towns, and Arctic Monkeys, Whatever the People Say I Am, is What I'm Not. Thank you, brother, appreciate you. Glad you had fun at the wedding. Greg chimed in, he said, uh, Hamlet, Betty, uh, 311, Music, 
Incubus Science, The Deer Hunter, The Color Spectrum, The Blue Album by Weezer, uh, Murder Noms by Perfect Circle, I probably butchered that, my apologies, uh, Adrenaline by The Deftones, and I by Magnetic Fields. Great list, man, great list, man, appreciate you. Uh, Marie says, The Master Plan by Oasis, Wood Gets Around by The Stereophonics, The Division Bell and The Delicate Sound of Thunder, both by Pink Floyd, Legend by Bob Marley, and The Manic Street Preachers, This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. I can't argue with any of that. That is a fantastic, fantastic list. Uh, Aaron, she comes up and says, Revolver by the Beatles. Definitely maybe in the Master Plan by Oasis. Queens of the Stone Age, Song for the Deaf. Fantastic, fantastic album. The Black Angels, Phosphine Dreams. Suede, Sci-Fi Lullabies. Blur, Park Life, All Modern Life is Rubbish. Both great albums. And The Black Moods, The Black Moods. Again, great, great list. You know, uh, very, very eclectic. Um, Queens of the Stone Age and Oasis. That's, that's, I, I like that. Liam Bear says, Half Man, Half Biscuit, The Trumpton Riots, The Doors, L.A. Woman, Metallica, The Black Album, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication, definitely maybe by Oasis, uh, Led Zeppelin's BBC Sessions, Stone Roses by The Stone Roses, and currently The Greatest Showman soundtrack. I don't know what that is, but uh, he left a lot of emojis after it, so good list, man, good list. Mark says, Black Label Society, Stronger Than Death, Cradle of Filth Maiden, In Flames, Horacle, Slipknot by Slipknot, Rotting Christ Rituals. Uh, I cannot pronounce that. Dimi Borier, Death Cult Armageddon, and Slayer Sessions in the Abyss. You can almost hear the tinnitus from here, man. That's a great, great, great choice, and it's different to what a lot of other people say. I appreciate you. Tom says, Be Here Now by Oasis, The Stone Roses by Stone Roses, Please Please Me by The Beatles, uh, Baby 81 by The Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, perhaps the most criminally underrated band in the world, uh, The Vaccines, What Did You Expect from The Vaccines? Okay. Uh... <laughs> That's a great album name. Uh, the Charlatans, Telling Stories, Nine Black Alps, Everything Is, and Hope of the States, The Lost Riots. Again, great list, Tom. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Gareth, he says, Pulp, A Different Class, The Killers, Hot Fuss, great album. Uh, the Cranberries, No Need to Argue, Cast, All Change, a criminally underrated album, and The Stone Roses by The Stone Roses. And finally, Patrick says, Oasis, Morning Glory, Blue Park Life, Counting Crows, This Desert Life, Mosley Shows by Ocean Colosseum. I probably got that wrong. I probably got tongue-tied. But thank you for everybody who so far I've announced as uh, Desert Island Discs. Uh, we will be coming to more later on in the show, where I will also tell you mine. We're halfway there, as the kids say. We're not talking about lemons and chairs right now. We're talking about good music, not Bon Jovi. Not that Bon Jovi was bad. Bon Jovi fans, don't don't hurt me. Uh, <laughs> okay, but uh, we're about to move on. But guys, if you're on social media, look up Because Maybe Podcast, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook. Look up the blog, becausemaybepodcast.wordpress.com. Search Because Maybe Podcast on YouTube. And uh, watch out. We're going to have a new social media schedule coming out over the next couple of days where we're actually going to use the social media sites as the way we're supposed to. But in the meantime, let's go through High Fidelity by Nick Hornby, and I'll get to you on the other side. Review Corner. The Written Word. So, this week on Review Corner, we take a look at High Fidelity by Nick Hornby. Uh, released in 1995, it's kind of a comedy romance book. Um... Very interesting book to read, too. Um, for a lot of people going through kind of a midlife crisis, uh, it is a very, very interesting read. Uh, a lot of good characters, decent plot. Uh, very, very... I don't know how to put it. Very, very... Uh, the characters are not great literary characters, but at the same time, they meld together and everyone's arc kind of wraps up in a neat little bow. So, uh, we will begin by going over the plot. Um, 
spoiler alert for everybody, if you haven't read it, uh, all I can tell you right now is it's a fantastic book, and go ahead and read it. But, uh, for the purposes of this podcast, obviously, this is a review, so there are going to be spoilers ahead. So, pretty much, uh, Rob is a 30-something record store owner, a former DJ who's just broken up with longtime girlfriend, Laura, who has moved out and moved in with former upstairs neighbor, Ray. A devastated Rob spends the days with his friends and employees, the boorish Barry and the timid Dick. Between them, they make top five lists and generally have a snobbish attitude towards the music they like and dislike. After striking up a friendship with American singer Mary LaSalle, Rob examines his top five most devastating breakups. This, combined with the death of Laura's father, rekindles their relationship, after Rob admits his attitude from a fear of commitment. After a brief crush on a music columnist, Rob realizes that Laura is the only one for him, and with her help rekindles his old DJ career. With one eye on the future, Rob finally figures out how things are supposed to work. That's a very condensed version of the book, but um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. One thing I like about this is it's written in first person, and Rob is very matter-of-fact. Um, he doesn't try and... He, he, he tells everything as it happened, and he doesn't try and, you know, put his own memory and thing on there. He just, if, you know, if if you don't like it, that's just how it was and what happened. And we'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, the structure of the book is a straight linear story, though. There are no flashbacks other than Rob's description of them. Uh, again, from his point of view. Again, he's not a biased or an unreliable narrator, but it's first person. So, you know, his point of views of things, you take them with a pinch of salt. So, we're going to start looking at the characters real quick. Uh, Rob Fleming is the main character of the book. Again, the narrator of the story. Uh, he's a likable character and a dislikable character all at once. And he can basically justify anything that he has done wrong in his life. So, for example, um, he's in one of the chapters, uh, I think it's chapter three, uh, he explains to the world that there are four things why Laura would have left him. Uh, he had an affair. He said he was looking for someone else. Uh, his attitude towards Laura's pregnancy and termination. And basically saying that she ruined his life. And that's a that's appalling. From, you know, looking at it, it's appalling. But he justifies it by saying, you know what? You can judge me all you want to. Look at what I've done. And write down your four most terrible things that you've done. No justification, just in plain, simple terms, what you did and what happened. And then tell me if what I've done is worse. So we're kind of like, ooh, okay, fair enough. That's how he keeps you on his side. He's not really likable in certain situations, but because he justifies it, and he, he plain English justifies it, you kind of can see where he's coming from. Uh, he also blames Laura for the unhappiness in his life uh, at the beginning of the novel, as well as some uh, of the, his past, uh, including a breakup with a character called Charlie, who he broke up with many, many years ago, and I'll get into that here in a little while. Uh, he's 30 years old, or at least in his 30s, and he is obsessed with music, to the point where he wanted to uh, have record labels stenciled into the artwork of his bricks in his, in his apartment. Uh, he owns a record store called Championship Vinyl, and it's not doing well. I mean, Saturday afternoons and mail orders are great, but every other day of the week, it's just, it's wasting electricity and wasting time. Uh, his girlfriend recently left him for his former upstairs neighbor. Uh, it's ironic that uh, Laura left Rob due to, um, you know, Rob, Rob cheating, saying that the relationship was getting stale. Uh, he borrowed a large sum of money from her to keep his business open. Uh, he states that he's not £5,000 richer, he's just now £5,000 in debt. Uh, 
one of the things he does is he has this quirk of whenever he's in stress situations or whenever something's not quite going right, he reorders his record collection, uh, sometimes in alphabetical order, sometimes in band alphabetical order. Uh, I think in the book he does chronological order. You know, he, he and not just uh, chronological order in when the albums were released, but when he bought the albums. He knows the first one he bought, he knows the last one he bought, and he got everything in between. That's a pretty obsessive, you know, pretty obsessive uh, way to do things. Uh, he has a self-proclaimed fear of commitment, which he gets into at the end of the novel, which kind of explains a lot of his behavior. Um, again, stemming from a combination of his top five most infamous breakups and just his general attitude and demeanor to begin with. Uh, he has a frosty relationship with his parents, but that's mainly coming from his end. So his parents really haven't done nothing wrong. He just considers them too uncool for him. You know, he's too cool for school. And his parents treat him the same way that they, you know, that they would... And, you know, he just, yeah. Uh, he has, he admits that uh, he's promiscuous, sleeping with 17 women in his lifetime. Uh, he also gives advice on how to pick up women. Now, before anybody starts slating the comments and, oh my god, what a horrible, horrible thing, uh, his technique of picking up women is not, you know, pick up lines, chat up lines, you know, funny joke, whatever. Ask questions, listen to their answer, treat women like humans. So, uh, you can make of that what you will. If it's true, it's true. If it's not true, it's not true. Uh, he is a former, and by the end of the book, a current DJ uh, at a local club. He had his own kind of DJ night where he'd play certain types of music. Um, the type of music that he plays was a little bit more underground, and I'm not saying, like, um, you know, underground illegal music or underground, you know, hardcore music, nothing like that, but more, you had to really know music to know some of the acts that he was talking about. Uh, his life basically revolves around making mixtapes, music, Laura, and making top five lists. Uh, after Laura breaks up with him originally, uh, he kind of stalks her, showing that he didn't handle things correct or well. He would write letters, he would uh, he call, and, you know, it just it wasn't very, very good. Again, it's a disgusting, horrible behavior, but he justifies it by saying, yes, it's not right, but you've done the same thing leave me alone, you know, that, that, that kind of thing, so he's calling it the hypocrisy of the reader if they've done something similar to what, if you disapprove of something he's done, you know, uh, even after all these years, he still hung up on his ex-girlfriend Charlie, and considered that breakup the one that kind of broke the camel's back in terms of his, uh, rejection and commitment issues, uh, he meets up with Charlie again during the novel, and that kind of gives him closure and starts the process of him, changing as a person uh yes he does have a midlife crisis and he does make contact with his in fact his top five most humiliating breakups of all time uh not just charlie but some other characters too uh he is a selfish guy too and he only does nice things if they benefit him so for example he's always talking about how he'll make a mixtape for someone but when he makes these tapes he makes them of music he would like so he wouldn't make, uh, for example, if he made a mixtape for Laura, he wouldn't make her a tape of stuff that she would listen to. It'd be stuff he liked and he listened to, and dang it, you're going to listen to it. So that's Rob. Uh, his counterpart, Laura, uh, she's also 30-something. Uh, she's a professional woman, unlike Rob, who's a, pretty much a slacker. She is a strong and fierce and level-headed person. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's about right. Uh, but she does leave Rob for their upstairs neighbor. And... <sighs> Her new job, well, I say new job, uh, by the time the book happens, she's been at this position for a couple of years, but uh, she's a professional woman, and 
her position at a high-powered law firm is starting to cause tension between the two of them. Not because of any sexist issues, but uh, she was a legal aid lawyer. And she would fight for, you know, for tenants' rights and, you know, help the poor, help the working man, the guys who can't afford lawyers, the, the, the society who needed help. And she was very, very passionate. Unfortunately, uh, the backstory is that, you know, she lost a job in the Thatcher government and as a lawyer she could only get work at the corporate level and that's kind of, you know, crimping their style a little bit and it's the type of work that she's doing rather than she's a high-paid professional with a job which is causing the tension. Um, she realized pretty early on in the relationship with Ray that it maybe wasn't a good idea, and she returned to Rob after a couple of weeks of that relationship. Uh, and basically her time was miserable, both in love and personality. They didn't get on, not arguing and fighting, but, you know, they just, they just, they, they didn't click. It was a fling, and then they realized, oh crap, this is, this is it. She's close to both of her parents, and was pretty much devastated when her dad died. Uh, side note that her dad loved, uh, Rob, thought he was fantastic, and his passing was kind of the catalyst that brought them back together. She does genuinely love Rob, uh, but the problem, and she wants to make it work, but the problem is they're just so toxic at times that it's a hard thing. But unlike Rob, she is selfless in what she does. Uh, for example, um, she goes out of her way to make sure that Rob goes back to his old self, and the, the part that, that she loved about him. And while Rob is unappreciative at first, because he's Rob, uh, you know, because it's just who he is, he, he eventually comes around. Uh, we take a look at Barry next. Barry is an employee and a friend of Rob. Uh, he is loud, boorish, and obnoxious. He is a jealous but lonely personality. Uh, for example, when a fellow co-worker Dick, who we'll get to here in a moment, uh, when he starts dating, Barry goes into, like, a jealous rage. You know, he's, he's like, really, really f***ed off, and, which is really, really weird. Uh, he lets his opinion be known to people whether they care or not. And he's always had this dream of being a uh, frontman in a rock band. And regularly auditions for roles and, in fact, has his own um, uh, advertisement in the window of Championship Vinyl. Uh, he finally gets his wish, mainly due to his name. The band that they have, they were called Barrytown, and they needed Barry from Barrytown. Uh, and then they changed the name of the band to Sonic Death Monkey, which he said, you're 30, Rob said, you're a 30-year-old man, Barry. You can't be in a band called Sonic Death Monkey. At the end of the book, of course, the band has evolved one more time from an original experimental piece into um, a group that kind of does, you know, NAF covers, as they say, you know, uh, Twist and Shout and Long Tall Sally and all that nonsense that, you know, that early 90s people would do in nostalgia, you know, for the 70s. Um, he is a musical snob and takes delight in torturing people with that knowledge and abusing people who don't know it and, and who, like, popular music, um, you know, just, he, he hates commercial music, and he loves knowing things that people don't know, especially when it comes to different types of music. Uh, Barry and Rob are joined a championship vinyl by Dick, who is, again, an employee and a friend. Dick is very intimidated by Barry. Barry, you know, makes, it, it scares him, very, scares him pretty much, uh, but Dick is a shy and decent person, one of the few in the book. Um, he dates a woman called Anna later in the book and brings out the best in him, really. He starts to get more confident and, you know, uh, like Barry, he's into rare music, but he is more open to other styles and open to help people. Dick is kind of the antithesis of Barry. He is a quiet and meek man and described as a patient school teacher, which kind of explains why, uh, you know, Rob keeps him around. 
And I'll get to that theory here in a minute because it, it is it is quite interesting. Then you have Mary LaSalle, uh, an American country musician, uh, recently arrived in London. Uh, she's a strong but vulnerable woman. Uh, she's running away from uh, love back home in uh, the United States. But she's a loud and positive person. Takes a shine to Rob, and Rob takes a shine to her. Uh, she and Rob do end up sleeping together, but it's not a great experience due to their collective baggage at the time. They both kind of, you know, it, it's not quite right. Uh, they do remain friends, uh, at first to Rob's horror, because he's the English of, hey, we've had sex, we can never speak to each other again, if we're not in a relationship. Uh, Mary does turn out to be Rob's voice of reason, though, and helps him through a lot of what's going on. Uh, she also becomes close to uh, Dick and Barry, too, uh, I guess because of the love of music, and and she's kind of interested in living like a local, you know, not not so much like a touristy kind of thing, but she wants to blend in and assimilate, as opposed to just be, you know, another face in the crowd. Uh, you have Ian Raymond, also known as Ray, who's a Laura's lover and a former resident uh, who lived in the building where Rob's flat is. Uh, not much is known about him, basically. He, um, he has international music tastes, and Rob calls it What's Trendy This Month. Uh, he's known for wearing dungarees and brightly colored outfits. Uh, he's known for having a lot of women up to the house, and basically they can hear them having sex loudly above uh, above Rob's room. And he's not an aggressive man, but definitely is territorial, and definitely stamps out Rob Stalkin uh, of Laura before it really gets out of hand. Uh, there are characters in the book too, Laura's friend Liz, uh, Mary's bodyguard, T-Bone, they have minor roles in the plot, but don't really move it along, so we're not going to be talking that much about them. Uh, Caroline, who works for a newspaper covering Rob's return to DJ, she has a little bit of a role, uh, Rob develops a crush, and in the end, T-Bone takes a liking to her, and that's basically all that it is. It kind of almost derails Rob's life while he's back on track. And then there's former girlfriend Charlie, who also plays a small role in helping with what will become Rob's Redemption. So, this book does have a lot of themes and a lot of uh, things that, that, that it basically goes through. And we're going to go through them uh, one by one, kind of like what we did with Trainspotting. Uh, first of all, we could take a look at lists. Uh, Rob, Dick, and Barry are constantly making lists. A lot of this book is constant list making. Even if they don't talk about what's on the list, they mention a list that they've made. We've all done, you know, we all have these in-jokes and out-jokes and, you know, everybody has this territorial stuff, but definitely list, 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 list. Uh, they range from just top five music albums, uh, top five toppings on a pizza, top five chocolate bars, you know, simple music lists, life lists, serious, funny, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, the main arc of the book stems from Rob's top five humiliating breakups, which kind of leads to his, his change towards the end of the book. These lists are basically used by the characters to either explore their future or to dodge the reality of their situation. So with Rob, you know, the reality is his girlfriend's left him. Well, let's look at the five worst breakups I've ever had. Well, that's not living through reality. You know, they put through uh, top five lists of, of songs on a Monday morning when the Monday morning is bleak. I mean, uh, Barry walks into Championship Vinyl Monday morning, Monday afternoon, I should say, in the rain, playing Walking on Sunshine. So, you know, that's, that's yeah. But uh, Rob actually takes to using his top five list and starts to reevaluate his life. And it kind of it kind of works because uh, Rob eventually changes his life and turns it around, or at least starts to turn it around. That's one thing I like about this, and I'll get to it later, more in depth. But I like the fact that Rob is still a work in progress at the end of the book, rather than the finished article. Uh, loneliness is another theme of this book. Rob has a horrible fear of commitment. Um, yeah, that's probably stemming from a lot of things. But when he's even when he's close to his friends and his family, he still feels alone. 
um, when he and Mary end up uh, sleeping together, um, it's an example of their loneliness, of their of their shared loneliness. Uh, you know, they both are upset. They both, uh, you know, it, it's it's not a good night for either of them. But you know, that's just that's just what it is. Um, all his plans and schemes, they really just are plans and schemes. They don't have, like, a structure, they don't have an end game, and they just collapse under the weight of, you know, it's like, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna, ah, uh, screw it. Whatever. Um, he does practically stalk Laura out of anger and loneliness when the split happens. And again, it's, it's not, it's not cool. Um, great writing by, by Holmby to, to, to put that across. And his guilt and his remorse at it, you know, he, he, you know, he, he, he tries to justify it and everything like that. But, you know, he can't, he, he couldn't do it, and, you know, he, he admits it was wrong. Uh, he finally admits to his loneliness when Laura's dad died, and he had a bit of a breakdown, a bit of a meltdown of it. Like, you know, look, I, I only was dissing because I thought I was going to lose you, and, you know, it just it just spurted out of him. He just blurted it out, and, and it finally felt cathartic for him. Even if he closed down very, very quickly, it still bleh, got it out of him. He does show signs of happiness, though. When, when Dick gets a girlfriend... He does show that, you know, he's happy and he d- does have happiness for other people as long as they're not affecting his happiness. So, you know, he ha- he's kind of indifferent to both Dick and Rob in some regards and other regards he's very fond of them. But when it comes to relationships, you know, Dick is just, Dick's a classic nerd, Dick, you know, he just, he, yeah. So if anyone getting a girlfriend would make Rob happy, it would definitely be Dick. Uh, he does have a strange relationship from his parents and feels very, very distant from them. But, this is not from their side of things, it's from his side of things. You know, he, he, he begrudgingly goes to visit them one Sunday afternoon in the book. Uh, when he sees that they're having fun, he gets really, really irritated and disappointed. He They offer to take him to the movies and go watch, you know, go watch a, a medley of British movies, and he's he feels like a child once again, and... During this whole period, his parents are treating him like an adult, and they're treating him with respect, they're not being patronizing, it's just, you know... That's that's what it is, um, and a lot of this, a lot of this stems from his uh, relationship with Charlie. Uh, Charlie was his college sweetheart, or his university sweetheart, depending on which area of the world you're in, and they had a very very close relationship. And the problem was is that Charlie was socially out of his league. We're not talking about looks. We're talking about he was kind of more working class, middle class, and she was middle upper class. And, you know, whereas he would like rock music and drinking lager, she would be wine and classical music. You know, that kind of thing. That kind of, that kind of gap. And eventually, that kind of messed him up, of how they broke up. Um, And to this day, or at least to, to a certain point in the book, he is kind of... He's horrified that, that he's still hung up on this woman, and he never really got over that breakup. He still loves her... And he just, just couldn't do it anymore. Um, but another thing that, that shows his loneliness is when they go, when he goes back to Mary's apartment, he looks and he sees that it's the same size apartment that he's got, similarly furnished, and she's only been in London for a couple of months, and he's horrified that roots as shallow as he's got took him 13 years to build when all it took Mary was a phone call to a friend. And that kind of sets him on his way to start reevaluating as well. Uh, Barry is a lonely character, uh, Barry's loneliness becomes a point of contention between himself and Rob, especially when Dick gets his girlfriend. Uh, Barry is very, very lashing out, you know, he's, 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 he's mad, basically, that Dick, how dare he, how dare he, you know, and, and it's like, wait, that sounds horrible, you know, um, 
it and it was i mean barry is very very jealous and it does you know it does show that 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 he's lonely um he aggressively lashed out when people get too happy he kind of like always tries to bring people down to his level you know and a lot of the characters don't like that and especially when dick stands up to him too barry kind of sulks it off uh he does seem to lash out aggressively when you know when people are happy people who are close to him get happy and you know, that's that's horrible but at the same time he this is somewhat kind of the pressure is off that when he joins a band even if rob does wind him up about it um rob intimates that barry's source of loneliness basically is sexual frustration and it's either he has never had some or he hasn't had some in a long time and it, it doesn't say in the book it just insinuates that and you know it could be right i mean if you do tend to lash out if you haven't had any for a little while, but the extent which he goes through making everybody miserable, you know, does say that he is is lonely. Uh, Laura is a lonely character too. Uh, she starts an affair with her upstairs neighbor Ray, based basically off Rob's general demeanor and negativity during that period of time, even towards Ray himself. She does feel detached at work. Remember, she wanted to be a lawyer for people's rights and and public you know public defender type deal, and you know work for the little guy and you know beat slumlords who, who are renting bad apartments to, to children, but instead she's working corporate now. And it, it, it kind of dilutes what she wants to do. I mean, like, for example, she would go to court with short hair and, and boots, and now she has to wear pantsuits and stuff like that. You know, she just, yeah, she just couldn't do it. Um, I mentioned she's very, very close to her dad, and when he passes, she has a black hole in her life. And, you know, that's filled by Rob, and again, they both kind of heal together. Uh, she does have some close friends, like I mentioned, Liz. Uh, but she always seems just a little bit bossy, which people acknowledge. And there is a point, you know, it's slightly uncomfortable, uh, that was written in the book. Uh, Rob had an affair with a woman called Rosie. And Laura was pregnant at the time. And when she found out that he was having an affair, she had an abortion. And Rob, you know, put the whole, how dare you do that to me, when he found out a couple of months later. But at the same time... That's something that they got over, but it was toxic. But it did show loneliness at the time. It's funny when, you know, when you look at certain things too. Like Dick and Barry, they are the good and evil sides of Rob's personality. You know, when Rob is caring and happy and laughing and joking, he's more like Dick. But when he's depressed and morose, he's more like Barry. So, you know, he can be loud and obnoxious and mean and mean-spirited and, you know, just all that. But at the same time, you know, he's got a uh, a kind heart, which is kind of what Dick has, too. Uh, there's a lot of infidelity in this book as well. Uh, Rob has an affair with a woman named Rosie, who you don't really hear about. Uh, Rob describes her as psychopathic. Claims it's the best sex he ever had, but it wasn't worth the hassle. Uh, which is a very, very bold statement for anybody to make. Laura has her own affair, uh, moves in with who she's having an affair with. Again, both reconcile and prove that in their own own way that they do kind of love each other but rob almost ruins that one chapter in the book rob and laura have a discussion about whether or not they should even try and get back together if there's a chance that they could get back together and laura doesn't know what she wants to do says there is a chance and maybe she will come back but she's got a lot to do on her end and now rob takes that as you know hey fantastic we might get back together and to celebrate this he goes, has drinks, has a curry, and sleeps with Mary. Straight off, straight off the bat. Now, I keep saying Mary. I should point out, it should be Marie. I've got my notes. For some reason, I've got Mary. It should be Marie. My apologies. Um, 
but with this tryst, Laura either doesn't find out or doesn't care because they were on a break. But either way, it's kind of, you know, a very, very weird thing to do. I mean, you know, if I broke up with Sarah, heaven forbid that would never happen, it would be really, really weird for me to, hey, we're getting back together, let me go sleep with a friend of mine. You know, it just, just doesn't make sense. Um, Rob, three, two, one. Rob might have had his affair with Rosie, but uh, when Laura left him for Ian, you know, he he kind of... Three, two, one. Rob might have had his own affair, but when Ray took Laura from him, he kind of, you know, would, would be justified for a lot of things. Uh, okay, let's start this again. Rob kind of starts taking the side of people who have been cheated on. Uh, even though he's a cheater himself, he feels that he's been cheated on. And uh, he's offered a record collection that for £50, which is not unusual, he said. But when he saw what was in there, white labels, uh, demos, misprints, monopressings, run-of-a-kind stuff, he's thinking, oh, crap, this is going to be about 15 16 grand, And he's offered it for £50. And the reason is, is that the guy cheated on his wife, ran off with a secretary, and said, sell my record collection and get, send me the money minus 10%. And so she's trying to take advantage of him to, you know, quite rightly, but sell his record collection for, for 50. And I think one of the things is Rob is horrified at that fact because, you know, he feels bad about, you know, robbing this guy blind, even though he cheated. And then he says, why am I sticking up for the cheater? And I think this has got more to do with the fact that the record collection rather than anything else. I mean, he doesn't care that the guy cheated. It's the fact that the music trumps everything else. And that's a hallmark of Rob is that, yes, he might be a cheater. He might stalk people. He might be a good guy. He might be a bad guy. But above all else, his life is centered around music. So when he's offered this collection for peanuts, he takes the side of the cheater just to make sure that the record collection doesn't get, you know, in bad hands, which is kind of weird and kind of cool at the same time. Uh, Rob does develop a minor crush on newspaper reporter Caroline, who is sent to cover the return of his DJ nights. This is a small side hug. It kind of derails a little bit from the story, um, but it also shows that Rob's having a hard time to change, but is eventually trying to change. And, you know, it's just, it's just to me, that part of the book was all weird, and, you know, if it wasn't in there, it, if it wasn't in there, it wouldn't have, you know, be missed, as far as I'm concerned. And of course, most of Rob's top five most humiliating breakups ended in some form of infidelity. If infidelity between, you know, two teenagers counts, you know, when they're kissing in the park or whatever. But everything else kind of, you know, with the exception, I think, of one relationship where he was the uh, they all kind of ended with him being cheated on, which again contributes to his fear of commitment. Music, however, is one of the biggest themes in this book. Uh, Rob, Dick, Barry, Mary, their lives are kind of intertwined with music. Uh, how you feel, how you act. Uh, Rob's not buying the record collection. His DJing, Barry's band, uh, Dick's thousands of mixtapes. You know that's 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 their life. Their life is music. Uh, Rob has a record collection in the thousands of CDs, ranging from modern and rarities to stuff like the Wine album. Uh, Barry and Dick spend their whole lives intertwined with music. Uh, Barry was in a two-piece drum and vocal band. Uh, he's tried to be in many bands as well as have an extensive collection of records and tapes. Dick himself has a major collection of records and tape which he shares. Uh, Rob claims to have hundreds of tapes that Dick has made that he's never even listened to. That's that's how you know that's how much music means to Dick Barry and Rob. Uh, Mary's a country music singer. 
Natural Showwoman, she does a gig at Rob's shop, and, you know, it's it's a big deal. Makes Rob a lot of money, helps him wipe out a lot of his debt. Um, and she's a natural showwoman. She, she, you know, she gets everybody on her side, and, you know, Rob is grateful to her for doing that. Um, he, But Rob kind of... His definition in a relationship of I like you is he will hand a mixtape. Now, let's let's define mixtape. Uh, I know mixtape right now usually means some uh, independent rap record, but back in the day, kids, you would actually have a cassette tape that you would record songs to, and it wouldn't be, you know, all the same thing. Mixtape is what they called it. That's where the phrase comes from. And at the end of the book, he kind of realizes this, and so decides that, you know what, for Laura, I'm going to do something nice, and I'm going to make her a mixtape of stuff that she will listen to, which is kind of what you're supposed to do. But he also makes one for Caroline when he develops a little bit of a crush on her, and when he realizes that, you know, wait, I'm, I'm starting to fall for this woman, you know, he kind of just lets it go, and, you know, just goes the other way. But uh, also, the last major theme of this book is redemption. Um, in the end, all of the characters kind of have redeemed themselves in their own little lives. Uh, for example, Rob understands his faults in life, and he's trying to change things. Now, the great thing about this is Rob is only starting to see what's going on and how he can change. He's not the finished article. And that's good, because, you know, that's one thing I hate is when everything's wrapped up too neat. Rob is still rough. Rob still needs some polishing. But he at least knows what his issues are. And he's going to work on them, and I think that's that's fantastic. It's better than it's better than the more cliched and Rob learned all his lessons and is a completely changed man. No, I'm glad that he's still working on it. Another thing Rob was worried about was his DJ work, and he was worried that he wouldn't be well received when or if he made a comeback. And the nights that he has these DJ nights, they're very well received, and he kind of you know it kind of helps him move forward again with another aspect of his life that he can kind of put it behind him and show that it's working. Uh, Barry also lets go of some of his snobbery. Uh, the band that he's in, Sonic Death Monkey, become a tribute band, and they decide to give up on the idea of becoming rock stars and just play at parties and wedding anniversaries. Kind, you know, kind of what those kind of bands do. You know, wedding bands, stuff like that. Uh, Dick and Anna's relationship continue to build. Anna is clearly besotted with him. Uh, Mary and T-Bone continue to adapt to their lives, and T-Bone even tries to uh, hit it off with Caroline. And Laura has put a lot of faith into changing herself. And because of that, that's helping Rob along the way. Uh, Rob does put a lot of his purse behind him towards the uh, last third of the novel. Uh, he meets Charlie and realizes that a relationship between the two of them long term definitely wouldn't work because they are opposite people. He he literally finds her obnoxious and irritating by the end of the book and kind of like a slap in the face. He finally gets over her in a way that he never thought would be possible. And not only never thought it would be possible but in a way that kind of frees him up to start the change that happens to him at the end of the book. So, with all that in mind, um, this book is a solid 8 out of 10 book. Um, there's nothing really more I can say. It's not Nick Holmby's best work by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a damn good start to his career. If you're going to have a, a start to a career, you've got to have a real, real good debut. Um, the intermingling of music and love struck a chord with me, especially the first few times I, I read this book when I was young and lonely and a snob with music and so on and so forth. I see a lot of myself in Rob, Dick, and Barry. And uh, the band I was in too, I saw a lot of us in Rob, Dick, and Barry. I was predominantly Barry. Uh, all of the characters are not classic characters, but the good thing is they all have arcs. They're all developed well. And they all have a conclusion. They all have a start, finish, and an end, which is great. 
And Rob's redemption, like I said, is not all cut and dry, but he's still a work in progress, which I like. Um, it kind of gives room for a sequel, which I don't think happened. Um, but, you know, again, it was real, real good. Rob was always an indecisive character, and showing that he's not quite completely 100% changed is kind of probably the best way to close the book on him. So, but that's uh, High Fidelity, guys. If you haven't had the chance, go ahead and read it. It's a fantastic book. Um, but in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed listening to my rambling of a 40-minute book report, a 30-minute book report, depending on how long this actually gets. And uh, we're going to look at one of the most weirdly named products in the history of weirdly named products. Cats, nature's mass killers. When they go to the bathroom, they usually use a little sandbox in the corner of the room that each one of your children will complain about emptying. However, our scientists have come up with a simple solution. Using mesh technology, hardened steel, and two wooden handles, we have the item designed to get all the nasty stuff out of the litter box without touching any sand. Introducing Catch It! Catch It. Like, like, catch Seriously? Who ne- That's right! In spite of its childish name, this glorified colander is just right for you. Flexible and sleek, simply run your catch it through the sand and it will pick up any clumps of nastiness without touching your hand. Remember, catch it stays in your litter box. Call today and we'll throw in an extra order of nut butter, the peanut butter of the future. Catch it. There is something seriously wrong with people. Why call it? Why can't? Why? I don't know. You understand Poopa Scooper, right? Catch it. Attention 90s music fans! If you're in the Shreveport, Louisiana area of the world on Saturday, March 31st, come to the Tiki Bar on East Kings for a night of 90s music and entertainment, featuring the 2017 Arclatex Rock Band of the Year, The Holodex. Showtime is at 9pm, although due to limited seating, you may want to arrive just a little bit early. A valid ID is required at the door, and entry for this great night of 90s entertainment is just $5. That's right, just 5 bucks at the door. For more information about the band, and for dates in your area of the world, go to theholodex.com. That's theholow, H-O-L-L-O-W, dex.com. And check out the band on Facebook at Holodex. So guys, if you haven't read the book yet, go ahead and read it. It's fantastic. Um, and obviously, if you're in this area of the world, go check out the Holodex Live at the Tiki Bar. Now, we are back with some more Desert Island Discs. Uh, we let 14 people out of the bag. We're going to let another 13 people out of the bag right now. And we're going to start with Dexter, who says, Third Eye Blind, their self-titled album. Dave Matthews Band, Under the Table Dreaming. Matchbox 20, Yourself or Someone Like You. And Hootie and the Blowfish, Cracked Review. Craig says, Oasis, Definitely Maybe. The Beatles, The White Album. All Mod Cons by The Jam. Stone Roses, their self-titled album. What's the Story, Morning Glory. Quadrophena by The Who, Yes. What a fantastic album. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Live, 1975 through 85. And The Cribs, Men's Needs, Women Needs, whatever. Carl says, The Smiths, The Queen is Dead. OK Computer by Radiohead. This Is It by The Strokes, Yes, that's a fantastic album. Uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, yes. Uh, the Velvet Underground, The Velvet Underground, and The National Trouble Will Find Me. Andrew says, Oasis, definitely, maybe. Radiohead, OK Computer. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by The Beatles. Uh, Pet Sounds by The Beach Boys. That's one thing I can say. I never got into Pet Sounds, but uh, it is a great album. Uh, Elbow, Seldom Seen Kid, and uh, Pilot, Caught at the Window. 
Let's move on. Juvie says, Be Here Now by Oasis. Interpol, Turn on the Bright Lights. In Rainbows by Radiohead. Uh, the Correct Use of Salt by Magazine. Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here. Arcade Fire Funeral. The Smiths, Meat is Murder. And I'm going to completely butcher this, but it's Makala and Sons of Nihau, Holuana. It's the original Hawaiian album, Judge Mother Spell, and that's, that's a fantastic shout. I love, I love regional music, I love uh, ethnic music, whatever you want to call it, you know, I love stuff like that. Uh, Dave says, And Justice for All by Metallica, Dark Side of the Moon and the Division Bell by Pink Floyd, uh, Pretty Hate Machine by Nylon Nails. Uh, 2112 by Rush, Meantime by Hamlet, Throwing Copper, Live, and Cowboys from Hell, Pantera. Cat, uh, regular contributor to the show. Welcome back, Cat. Uh, Counting Crows, August and Everything After. Uh, the Doors by The Doors. Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Uh, Acid Birth, When the Knife Strike Pops. Uh, the Crow soundtrack, Pearl Jam 10. Nine Inch Nails, A Downward Spiral, and Bob Marley Legend. That's an album that, that, that I'm surprised has come up a lot more. It's a great album. Uh... But yeah, legend, man. What an album. Uh, Brother Luke, he says, Arctic Monkeys, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Where the Light Is, Live in L.A. by John Mayer. He's a big John Mayer fan. I'm surprised. I've raised him better than that. Uh, I'm just kidding, brother. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Texas Flood, Trivium Ascendancy, and Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? Uh, Jen says, Nick Drake by Pink Moon, Jeff Buckley, Hallelujah, John Coltrane in the Sentimental Mood, Queen, The Seven Seas of Rye, and ELP, Brain Salad Surgery. That is a great list too, guys. You need to listen to some of those albums if you haven't already. Uh, Kyle, What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis, White Lion, Pride, Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, Oasis definitely, maybe... I can't argue with that. White Lion is a great band, but it was a hard time explaining to everybody who they were if they asked me. Gareth says, Oasis, definitely, maybe. Blink-182, Dude Ranch. Uh, Slipknot by Slipknot. BFS, Drunk Enough to Dance. And Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. Yeah, that's... that's. I'm surprised more people didn't put stuff like Meatloaf and Elton John in their lists. But, uh, yeah, Bad Out of Hell, man. It's a fantastic, phenomenal, phenomenal album. And if you haven't listened to it, you know, I recommend that you... Well, go ahead and do. Uh, Vicky, this is where I'm a horrible, horrible friend. Three, two, one. You know, you've known someone for a long, long time, and there are some things that you know that would that were jokes, and you kind of accidentally forget them. Vicky, I'm so sorry. Uh, you said an Oasis album. Uh, I've forgotten which one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but uh, Neil Young live at Massey Hall, Metallica self-titled album, and Tom Petty. Yes, great albums, great albums, and the Oasis album that you picked was insert album here okay and finally uh we have sarah and we're gonna obviously start with hall live through this oasis def no not definitely maybe standing on the shoulder of giants that's a shock i'm surprised i'm surprised she did that uh the crow soundtrack uh the beatles blue album yes the hamilton cast recording god yes she's playing that all the time Nevermind by nirvana and fleetwood mac rumors that is the Desert Island Discs for the listeners of the Because Maybe Podcast. And guys, thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to do that. I know, um, number one, I begged for it. But number two, in all, all seriousness, uh, you know, you gave me some really, really good albums. And I appreciate every single one of them. So, I know what you're thinking. John, you've been speaking for a long time. What are your Desert Island Discs? Well, I'm going to read them off right now. It is Travis, Good Feeling, uh, The Motorhome, Songs for Me and My Baby. The Bands by Radiohead, Performance and Cocktails by Stereophonics, Ben Folds Rock in the Suburbs, This is Hardcore by Pulp, Quadrophena by The Who, The Masterpine by Oasis, and, of course, 
definitely maybe by Oasis. And definitely maybe is crowned the Because Maybe podcast, um, the Because Maybe podcast Desert Island Disc, I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's another award for the cabinet for them. But definitely maybe, man, a lot of people picked it because it is such a fantastic album. Even if you don't like Oasis and don't like what they became and don't like the Gallagher Brothers, definitely maybe is a fantastic, phenomenal album. And if you haven't listened to it, go ahead and listen to it. It is really, really good. For some people, it's Oasis' peak. For other people, it's just the way up. But consider how many of you guys picked it. It's a fantastic, fantastic album. And that's it for this week, guys. If you guys are on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr, look at Because Maybe Pod. And uh, next week's social media question is revolving around next week's show. We'll be back with another review, and we're going to be reviewing uh, Crash Bandicoot 2 Warped. Fantastic game, one of my favorite games of all time. And there's a little bit more to it than just going over the game, which I'll get to next week. But I have to ask, because the last two video games have been remade that I've reviewed... Do you think that remakes show a lack of originality in game developers? I'd like to hear your comments on that. I'd like to hear what you guys have got to say because, you know, I, I'm like I said before, I'm a gamer. I like playing certain games. I don't consider myself, you know, some of these hardcore idiots, you know, who who, who harass women and, and, you know, call everybody a noob and stuff like that, you know, kind of like my son. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, I want to know if, if you think, because, you know, the perception is amongst video games and the perception is amongst movies that things have been re- remake and remake and remake. Look, my favorite game is being remade about eight times. I'm pretty sure it's going to be available for Tea Kettle before long. Uh, that's Skyrim, by the way. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I'd like to hear your opinions on that. But before we come back with next week, um, I just got to say one thing. Um, there are a lot of things going on in the personal life of everybody here at uh, Castle Connolly and... I don't want to assume bad things are going to happen. In fact, I want good things to happen. But should bad things happen, I will be posting an extra episode. Uh, But in the meantime, I'm hoping I don't have to do that for a long time. But in the meantime, we have this review. We have, so far, episode four and season two. I can't believe that I've made 16 episodes of this. And we've got a heck of a lot more to come. Thank you guys for taking the time to listen to this. And I will see you next week when I'm talking about Crash. See you soon. Catch it. Like, like, catch. Seriously?